Good afternoon, Covenant Church. It's good to see you. Uh, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John, and today we're going to read from chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now, in some way, this passage is pivotal in the Gospel of John because everything that came before this passage was about three years of Jesus' public ministry, but everything else that will come after this passage will be about the final week of Jesus' life. So it's going to get intense from here. So if you're already here, if you're already there, please stand for the reading of God's word. This is word of the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Amen. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. To yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So it's six days before the Passover. And there's a lot of people in this little town of Bethany. Now, because Bethany was close to Jerusalem, it wasn't unusual to find many pilgrims in this city around this time of the year. But something was different that night. It wasn't just the people, but the very air was different. There was excitement, there was joy, and it turned out Jesus, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, was in town that night, and he was attending a banquet held in his honor. This guy, Simon, hosted a dinner for Jesus, and he invited some of his favorite friends as well, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, uh, the one Jesus raised from the dead. So we are at Simon's house, and we see Mary walking out of the kitchen. She's looking around the banquet hall, great music, great food. Everyone seemed to be having a good time. And there she is, Martha, her dear sister. Guess what Martha's doing? She's serving. Of course, that's what Martha does the best, right? So Mary loves Martha, and he, she loves her brother Lazarus. And he's right there 
reclining at the table with Jesus. They are talking with each other. They're laughing with each other. And just watching their interaction, it just seems so unreal to Mary. I mean, just a month ago, they were having a funeral for their dear brother Lazarus. And now they're celebrating this feast held in honor of Jesus. And yes, Jesus. He had done so much for her and for her family. Mary's thinking about all those times when she sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching. She's thinking about the time when Jesus wept with her at the tomb of Lazarus. He's thinking about the moment, she's thinking about the moment when Lazarus walked out of the tomb and the look on Jesus' face. Watching Jesus interacting with her brother, Mary's heart became overwhelmed with gratitude and joy. And of course, the Holy Spirit was prompting her, and she started to walk toward Jesus with a little jar in her hand. Now, what Mary did that night upset a lot of people, but it deeply moved and pleased Jesus. Jesus even said, what Mary has done for Mary has done a beautiful thing for me. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And that's the story I want to share with you this afternoon. So we're going to look at this story in three movements. First, the piety of Mary. The second, the hypocrisy of Judas. And third, the irony of Jesus. The piety of Mary, the hypocrisy of Judas, and the irony of Judas. But first, the piety of Mary. Let's go to verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointments made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now here we see Mary's devotion to Jesus, and it's a beautiful model of discipleship. Now what stands out immediately is how extravagant it is. I mean, it was considered over the top that some of Jesus' own disciples thought this was a waste. They were upset with what Mary did for Jesus. And of course, Mary didn't care about what other disciples thought of her. She only cared about if Jesus was being properly honored and served. So we can see clearly the extravagance of Mary's devotion in the perfume she brought and in the act she performed. So let's look at the perfume she brought first. Verse 3 again. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Now notice its quantity. John said, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment. Now, if you have your Bible, in the footnote, it will tell you that a Roman pound was equal to about 11 and a half ounces or 325 grams. To put it in perspective, I brought my own cologne. I'm going to hide the brand. It's not an expensive one. It's really cheap uh, that I got in in the States. I've been using it for a long time, and I still... Had it left. Now, in the back of, actually, actually, the bottom of the container, it says there's 1.35 ounces. 
only 1.35 ounces, and I've been using this for years. Why? Because when I use this, I don't use it extravagantly. I open the cap and maybe a spray, and that's it. That's why I've been using this for a long time. Now, Mary has 11 and a half ounces of perfume. There would be about eight to nine of this perfume. But the thing is, Mary didn't just squirted his, her perfume at Jesus. She took 11 and a half ounces of her perfume and basically poured it all on Jesus all at once. No wonder the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, right? So it shows that Mary's devotion was abundant and overflowing. Notice also the, the value of the perfume. Now, John says it was expensive ointment. Now, just how expensive was it? Well, in verse 5, Judas kindly lets us know that this perfume could have been sold for about 300 denarii. Now, one denarius at that time was one day's wage for a common laborer. So, you do the math, 300 denarii, they would be about a year's worth of wage for a common laborer at that time. Again, let's put this in perspective. Let's translate this into today's economy. The 2020 minimum wage in South Korea is 8,591. That's about, what, seven U.S. dollars, something like that. And, and if you work eight hours a day, uh, five days a week, and for the whole year, then you would, about, about, you know, you would make about 1,800,000 won. Again, that would be about 17,000 U.S. dollars. Now, husbands, let's say one day your lovely wife comes up to you and says, Honey, I would like a perfume for myself. And then you'd be like, Oh, sure, you know, let's see. Well, what do you have? And then she shows, shows you her phone. And there's the perfume, and it says $17,000. Now, let's... Let's make it clear that we all love our wives. We want to please them. We, we love them. We want, we want them to have nice things. But $17,000 perfume? Would you get it for her? Well, probably not, right? And remember, Mary's got a perfume that expensive. We don't know if it was a family heirloom that she inherited from her great-grandmother we don't know if it was a treasure that she acquired, that she was saving up for her own, own wedding. We don't know where she got this. But one thing we know is that she didn't hesitate to break the flask and pour it all on Jesus. She didn't hold back in her devotion. Now, lastly, notice the, the quality of the perfume. John tells us that this expensive ointment was made from pure nard. Now, nard, or spike nard, I had to Google it to find out what it was. It's a fragrant oil extracted from the root or the stem of the nard plant. Now, the nard plant mainly grows in the Himalaya mountains of northern India. So just by reading nard, you would know that there's a lot of work that has been put into making this perfume. I mean, the, the workers, they had to climb the mountain ranges of, of, of Himalaya, they have to gather these plants one by one. 
and they have to go through a complicated and long process to extract a fragrant oil. They have to preserve it perfectly and transport it all the way from northern India to Jerusalem in Israel. No wonder it was expensive. But notice also it was a pure nard. That means it wasn't watered down. It wasn't diluted. It was 100% nard. And nothing was added to it and nothing was subtracted from it. It shows that Mary offered to Jesus the best of the very best because he deserved nothing less. Now, here's the question for all of us. What do you bring to Jesus? Do you bring the best of the very best to Jesus? Take an inventory of your life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, opportunities that you have in your relationships, at your work, when it starts, and in your neighborhoods. Think about your church involvements and ministry. Do you offer pure nard to Jesus? Or will you offer to him a leftover, an afterthought, or a half-hearted devotion? Now, Mary's devotion to Jesus was extravagant, not only in the perfume she brought, but also in the act she performed. With, with, with brilliant simplicity of style, John describes Mary's act of devotion uh, as twofold. Let's go back to verse 3. John writes, Mary anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So first, she, she anointed the feet of Jesus. Now, back in those days, there was no such thing as pavements on the street, and people wore sandals to everywhere, and it's quite a uh, dry country, uh, Israel as you know it. So you can imagine, after some traveling, people's feet would collect a lot of dirt and dust. And that's why it was part of the hospitality code to have a servant ready to, to wash the guest feet with water before they recline for the meal. Now, it's already surprising that Mary used a perfume to wash Jesus' feet because nowhere in the code said that you have to use a perfume. You, just, you can just use water and that'd be fine. But Mary went above and beyond. Now, that's already surprising. But what's even more shocking is that Mary's not a servant. Elsewhere in the parallel passages, we find out that this dinner party was hosted at Simon the leper's house. And we don't read anywhere that Mary worked as a servant to Simon. In fact, Mary was actually one of the guests invited to the party with Lazarus and Martha. But Mary wasn't afraid to take the posture of a servant and wash the feet of Jesus. So in this act of humility, Mary was already anticipating John 13, when Jesus said, wash each other's feet uh, in the love that, that, that the Father has poured into in among us. So she anointed the feet of Jesus, but she also wiped his feet with her hair. Now, back in those days, again, women, especially Jewish women, never let their hair down in public. It was a disgrace. Now, Mary not only let her hair down in public, 
but also knelt at the feet of a man she's not married to and started to wipe his feet with her hair. Now, this was scandalous. This was risky. I mean, this was a big no-no at that time. No respectable woman would, would do such a thing in public. So why did Mary do such an extreme act of devotion? Well, we have some evidence in the ancient writings that the lowering of one's hair in this manner expresses extreme gratitude and deep humility. Hoping that Jesus would understand and those close to him would understand, Mary knelt at the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet in absolute self-abandonment and total submission. In some way, Mary was telling Jesus, Lord, don't just take the perfume. This is less than what you deserve. Take me. Take all of me. Because I'm your servant. I'm yours. Now, some people have read into this text and said, maybe Mary of Bethany and Jesus were a thing. Maybe this was some kind of romantic and even sexual gesture. Now, this was not at all a sexual gesture. And we know that because John used a particular word to describe what Mary did for Jesus. He said Mary anointed the feet of Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, there were three special groups of people who were anointed with oil. And kings was one of these groups. Mary knelt at the feet of Jesus and anointed his feet with an oil as an act of acknowledging that Jesus, you are my king and you are my Lord. Mary was not relating to Jesus as a woman to a man. Mary was relating to Jesus instead as a servant to a king. And this fits well with the context. If you go to the next section, right after this passage, what we find is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So in Bethany, Jesus' kingship was acknowledged implicitly and privately by Mary. But in Jerusalem, Jesus' kingship would be acknowledged publicly and explicitly by all. So in this act of humility and submission, Mary was not only anticipating John 13, Jesus washing disciples' feet, but she was also anticipating the triumphant entry in John chapter 12. Now, I have to say that it was nothing short of revolutionary that Jesus elevated and presented a woman as a model disciple. Now, back in those days, Women had no rights. They had no power. Their testimony was not accepted as weighty in a courtroom. I even found out that, that the devout Jewish man at that time would get up every morning and pray this prayer. Lord God, thank you that I am not a slave, that I am not a Gentile, and I am not a woman. To the face of a culture like that, Jesus openly commended what Mary did for her, him and even memorialized her act of devotion for the next centuries. Jesus affirms 
and empowers women in the kingdom of God. So women of covenant, be encouraged. Be encouraged by Mary. But of course, as a model disciple, Mary not only challenges women of faith, but also all of us, including us, men of faith. Her active submission and, and humility challenges us to ask some hard questions. If Jesus is the anointed king, if Jesus is your king and my king and our king, then he deserves absolutely everything. He is worthy of everything that we are and that we have. Now, I don't want to be too specific in applying this passage in each of our lives because everyone has to work it out for himself or herself what would be considered extravagant in where you are. But whether you are a teacher or a student or a military or a stay-at-home mom, the question remains the same for all of us. What would it look like for you to practice extravagant piety? Is there anything in your life that you are holding back from Jesus? Because this is so precious. This is so valuable. This is something I, I cherish. I can't possibly give this up for Jesus. If there's anything that you're holding back, lay it at the feet of Jesus because he deserves it. If there's anything that the Holy Spirit is prompting, the Holy Spirit says, maybe you should do this to honor Jesus, to help his people, then obey his voice and lay it at the feet of Jesus and acknowledge that he is your king. So we've been looking at the piety of Mary. Now let's move on and look at the hypocrisy of Judas. Let's go to verses 4 to 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, Mary had just done a beautiful thing for Jesus, and Judas asked, but what about the poor? What about the poor? I mean, what was wrong with this guy? Why was Judas such a jerk? Well, the fundamental problem was with worship. Worship. Now, the English word worship comes from the old English word, Worth-ship. Now, it means to ascribe worth to something or someone. Now, Jesus is the anointed king, so he is worthy of everything, and Mary saw that. So as a worshiper, Mary gave everything to Jesus. Mary gave what rightly belonged to him. But, Jesus, but Judas was not a worshiper. Notice here, John calls him a thief. Rather than giving what rightly belonged to Jesus, Judas stole from Jesus what rightly belonged to him. At the fundamental level, it wasn't really about the money. It was about worth-ship. The question was, how much does Jesus worth? And Mary and Judas, they had radically different answers to the question. On the one hand, for Mary, Jesus worth everything. 
So she ascribed worth to Jesus. She focused on the, the preciousness of Jesus rather than the price of the perfume. To Mary's heart, Jesus was more valuable than her treasure and more precious than her, than, than her inheritance. But on the other hand, for Judas, Jesus worth less than 300 denarii. Jesus deserved less than one year's wage for a common laborer. For Judas, Judas, Jesus worth not that much. And that's why he ascribed worth to the perfume rather than Jesus. He focused on the price of the perfume rather than the preciousness of Jesus. Now, isn't it kind of incredible that you know, you know, it only took him a split second to, to figure out what the market price of the perfume was? It only took him a glance and a sniff. And then he's like, ding, 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 ding. Oh, that could be sold for 300 denarii. Now, he's done this multiple times. It's a remarkable skill. But, of course, what is sad and tragic is that it took him only so little time to see how valuable that perfume was. But it took him three whole years and still failed to see that Jesus was the king of infinite worth. So he was about to betray him, stealing from him his honor and robbing him of his glory. So fundamental problem was with worship, but there is something even scarier going on in today's passage. Now, what's so scary about Judas is that he's so good at hiding it. He's so good at pretending that nothing is wrong. He's so skillful at fooling everyone to think that he is a philanthropist. What about the poor? With that one question, a master thief turned into Mother Teresa. A betrayer disguised himself as a benefactor. Now, notice also that Judas' hypocrisy here is not helping anyone. Because of Judas' hypocrisy, Jesus is not receiving what, he, what rightly belonged to him. Because of Judas' hypocrisy, Mary, the model disciple, is discouraged and scolded by other disciples. Because of Judas' hypocrisy, other disciples are divided and confused. And because of Judas' hypocrisy, the poor are not helped and cared for. And because of Judas' hypocrisy, Judas, his own fate is sealed and his own heart is hardened. Hypocrisy does no one good. It dishonors God, it destroys church, and it defiles the person. Now, all of us here are either a worshiper or a thief. But in a way, it's okay to be a thief. As long as you acknowledge that you are a thief and wants to change it. What's not okay is knowing that you are a thief and pretending like nothing is wrong with you. Pretending like you are a worshiper. There's always hope for thieves, as long as they admit it, as long as they, they want to change it, as long as they go to Jesus. But there is absolutely no hope for hypocrites. And that's why when you look at Jesus, he's always hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. 
people who were considered sinners at that time, people who knew they were sinners, people who knew they needed help, people who knew they needed Savior, Jesus was hanging out with them. But he had, he had zero tolerance for the religious leaders of his day. Why? Because they were hypocrites. They didn't see their need of Savior. They were blind to, to, to see their, their own sin. There was no hope for them. So friends, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. But what's not okay is pretend like you're okay. It's okay if you can confidently say today that Jesus is precious to you. It's okay if you can say it today that Jesus is the treasure of your heart. Admit it. Confess it. Go to Jesus. Repent of it. And by the grace of God, you will be okay. But what's not okay is even though Jesus is not precious to you, that you pretend that he is and tell people about it. So what's, 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 what's important is that we admit and we go to Jesus rather than pretending like we're okay like Judas. So with some desperation, we pray the words of Psalm 1918. Open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of your laws because it is only seeing Jesus and his infinite worth that can blow away our covers, that can blow away our hypocrisy. It is only when we see that Jesus is the king and he deserves everything that will melt away our hypocritical heart and that will make us fall at his feet and worship him. Now, listen carefully because Jesus is about to say something wondrously ironic and ironically wondrous in verse 7. Verse 7, Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now Jesus is replying to Judas and he is bringing out the full significance of what Mary did for her. Jesus says, Mary did this for the day of my burial. Now, this is startling. Why? Because, let's remember, this is a dinner party before the Palm Sunday. So the very next day, Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem in a kingly procession. He's going to be riding on a donkey. People are going to be waving palm branches, uh, shouting for joy, Hosanna in the highest. Now, don't you think Jesus should be thinking about that right now? A feast held in his honor. The next day, he's going to be welcomed into the city of Jerusalem and hailed as a Messiah and king. Don't you think he should be daydreaming about his enthronement? But that's not what he's thinking about. He's thinking about the day of his burial. He's thinking about his death. Now, what's going on here? Here's the irony of Jesus. And unless you understand the irony of Jesus, 
no matter how hard you try, you will never be able to devote yourself to Jesus like Mary did. Mary anointed Jesus as a king. And it turns out that Jesus is an ironic king. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this. By the same act of devotion, Jesus is being anointed as a king and being prepared as a corpse at the same time. As one commentator puts it, Jesus is worthy enough to be anointed as a king and loving enough to be prepared as a corpse for us. Do you see what this means for you? Do you know what these, this means for your life? It means that even before you did anything for Jesus, he did, he devoted himself to you extravagantly. It means even while we were still sinners, Jesus poured himself out for us, for our sins. It means, it means we love Jesus because he first loved us. We have problems, all of us. We are sinners. That means we don't worship Jesus. That means we don't ascribe worth to Jesus. Instead, we ascribe worth to anything but Jesus. We worship status. We worship approval. We worship financial security. We worship comfort and pleasure. We worship anything but Jesus. We steal honor from Jesus. We steal his glory. We steal his worth. And we are so good at hiding it. What about the poor? We use our religiosity to cover up dysfunctions of our hearts. We deserve what Judas deserved. But God's love is unstoppable. Jesus is being prepared as a corpse to be buried, to die for our sins so that we can have life. Mary received the, the life of her brother back. But we receive our own life back because of Jesus' burial. Because God the Father was extravagant in his devotion to his people, he did not hesitate to break open his only son and pour him out for us so that we can live. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he paid for it. It didn't just cost him 300 denarii. It didn't just cost him one year's worth of work. It costed God the Father everything. It costed God the Father what was most precious to him. And to make each and every single one of us precious in his sight, to make each and every single one of us fragrant to him, he gave up his only son. He broke him open on the cross and he poured him all out to be buried in the tomb so that he could raise us up with Christ from the dead into eternal life. If that's not extravagant love, I don't know what is. Now, in light of God's superabounding grace and overflowing love, what else can we do but to lay our very life before Jesus' feet? And when we do that, the whole house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The whole world is filled with the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul calls us 
in 2 Corinthians 2, that we are the aroma of Christ to God. We offer ourselves to God. We devote ourselves to Jesus in the life of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we do that, Paul says, the, the, the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ will spread in the whole world. So friends, look at the extravagant love of the Father. Look how he loved you. Look how he broke open his son so that you could have life. Let that change you. Let that shape you and mold you. Let that be poured into your own heart until it becomes fragrant. And go. Be devoted to Jesus and spread the fragrance of his knowledge. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, now that we have seen and tasted that you're good, we now count everything else as a loss, as rubbish, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Father, help us to know your Son, who was buried for us, who was dead and descended into hell so that we could have life and resurrection. Help us to see him. Help us to taste him until we do away with our hypocrisy and come to you in purity and piety. Father, help us to be devoted to you as you have been devoted to us in your Son, in whose name we prayed. Amen.